This is Company, the flagship podcast of the Manson Podcasting Network, speaking with ambitious women all over the place. I'm Sky Manson, and I think today's guest has one of the coolest jobs. Many of you will have come across Melinda O'Donoghue before. She makes wedding dresses, not from some swanky studio in the city, but from her farm in northwest New South Wales. Don't you think that is just so fabulous? Her Instagram profile reads, soon to be retired bespoke wedding dressmaker doing up an 1860s, 1900 Australian homestead in northwest New South Wales with her clever husband, Des. I think she's trying to retire, but the brides keep coming and coming and coming. Here's her story. So it's quite unusual what I do and and unusual where I live um, to do what I do. But it's, yeah, it's just something that's just sort of evolved over the years when I studied fashion uh, in Canberra at the Canberra Institute of Technology. I actually purposely chose to study commercial design because I was going to go and live overseas and work for a great fashion house somewhere but I fell in love and ended up um, and, I, and I was determined not to become a dressmaker but I fell in love and, and moved to the country I'd grown up in the country but moved back to the country and and this was a this was what I did and and it's, and it's been a wonderful thing while my children were small and I could work from home. Have you always been a sewer? always I was actually thinking about it this morning mum was a beautiful sewer and so I grew up with the sewing machine always out and I used to beg her to teach me to sew and and she was busy with three children and my sister probably must have been late in primary school started to learn to sew at school and I remember being so jealous and begging mum to teach me to sew and I think she just didn't have time so in the end I just took the sewing machine and taught myself to sew and and my sister who doesn't sew at all now always laughs and says well you got the ultimate revenge didn't you I can't sew anymore and 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 you sew all day every day so it's quite funny how things work out and what age were you when you took hold of (gasps) we would have been eight or ten I would imagine and I used to create some charming little numbers but you know it was the 80s where everything was puff sleeves and boxes and uh, you know boxy sort of fashions and no great fitting involved but yeah and then I went went, went, really at age eight did you start making clothes yeah I did I did yeah just a a real passion that I just wanted to do it's a it's a it's a funny thing it's just part of who I am and always was part of who I am it's just a strange thing so where did you grow up Melinda I grew up on a property about 30k south of West Wyalong, um, but West Wyalong wasn't really our town. A, a little village called Area Park was our little um, town where um, we went to school and church and, and all of those sorts of things. So about a, about a, an hour and a half from Walker. I'm assuming your father was a farmer and he your was, mum yes. was looking after yeah, yeah, she you, was. but so, she also sewed. Or did she, she have didn't. a previous sort of career in sewing? No, 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 not at all. But in those days all the women sewed and they actually all went off to TAFE probably when their children were small. But maybe mum when she was a young girl, they all went off to TAFE and they all made they went to lots of balls. They all made beautiful ball gowns. And actually, I, I have lots of mum's beautiful clothes that she's sewn that my daughter now has. 
Um, but that was just something that country women did. You went off to TAFE and you learnt to sew. Um, and it's such a shame that I teach at TAFE in Moree and we're just starting to get women to come in and, and learn to sew, which is fabulous. I've got two classes, one on a Monday and a Wednesday, with about our eight women that are coming in and learning to sew. So it's fantastic. And our TAFE, actually, Moree is the only sewing room left in country New South Wales for TAFE, which is a shame they've all been closed down. That's so interesting because mm. it was it was such a thing, wasn't it? That every um, every woman was able to, was able oh, to sew. Absolutely, but it's lovely to see. Probably for the last five or six years, when I've got time, I'm extraordinarily busy. I will do some nighttime classes, and and it's lovely to see young married girls come in, and they're probably wanting to do more soft furnishings than clothes. But we have had a few clothes sewing um, classes. But um, people are very into their homes, and they want to learn how to make a you know a cushion or an ottoman or a lampshade or something like that. So. I think sewing will always be there. It's, it's interesting talking to Sylvia, who has the fabric shop in Moree, and she's been there for 50 years. Mm. And she now says, other than selling curtains and um, a few dressmakers that keep her busy, there's not that many people that are buying fabrics to sew clothes. And I suppose clothes are inexpensive now to buy. But... They're, they're, you know, if formal wear, there's, there'll always be a need for people to have things made for weddings and and, and formal occasions, I think. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because it's actually a topic that I th- have recently spent a lot of time thinking about, having cleaned out my childhood home right. recently mm-hmm. and in the attic coming across, not coming across, I mean, we always knew it was there, but there was cupboards and cupboards and cupboards full of beautiful material. Mm. And it was something that women, country women, spent their money on. And they did. loved and and collected and that doesn't that doesn't happen anymore what's your reflections on that and also like the love of collecting material back in the day I don't know I think there was so many beautiful fabrics to buy maybe now it's such a specialty thing like I will send people to Saigon Fabrics in Sydney or to the Fabric Collection in Brisbane or Alamoda um, to buy beautiful fabrics. And Sylvia's amazing in Moray and she will get beautiful fabrics in. But otherwise, nothing, not that there's anything wrong with spotlights. Places like Spotlight have their place, but the fabrics are not what they used to be, maybe, I think. I don't, I mean, I'd imagine some of the fabrics that you found in your childhood home would have been extraordinary. And you would think, holy dooly, you just can't buy this sort of fabric anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think because people did just sew everything that they wore, it was quite unusual to go and buy a dress. So women were always buying fabric, thinking, well, I'll buy that fabric for my daughter or my mother and I'll make that. And sometimes they got around to it and sometimes they didn't. But it would be very unusual to find an old home that doesn't have fabric. And quite often, actually, people have given me fabric and I have got a a beautiful suitcase in my sewing room underneath the table that a lady gave to me full of antique, beautiful lace and fabric and her grandmother was a dressmaker and she only has four sons and so she gave it to me thinking that if something happened to her her sons would probably throw it out Um, but I've kept it because she's got 
the two daughter-in-laws and granddaughters and I've said to the daughter-in-laws I'll just look after it and one day your children might come along and they might like all these beautiful things back again um but she just didn't know what to to do with them and and the quality of the the things in this suitcase are extraordinary absolutely beautiful do you also think just um back to that thing of material back in the day that that was the special thing that women spent their money on Definitely, absolutely, definitely, definitely. And they would have squirreled it away in cupboards or um, careful with chests full of, um, you know, beautiful um, soaps and things to keep the moths away from them. Definitely, absolutely. And there is something really beautiful about an exquisite piece of fabric. And I suppose you're thinking about what is that going to be made in? It's the dreaming of what that beautiful piece of fabric is eventually going to come. Mm. Be made in we digress I'm so sorry but Melinda how did wedding dresses in particular come into your vernacular when I was at college um we were mad buyers of Vogue magazine and they used to do a wedding dress yeah beautiful they used to do a wedding dress did you have Vogue as a child was that like no, 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 not at all. Mum was a great woman's weekly buyer and it used to come once a week in those days. Um, but I do remember always looking through the fashion sections. Um, but no, not, not she was not a Vogue buyer. And there, Alex Perry, who's a well-known Australian designer, had just started to become well-known or I started to notice his dresses and this was in the 90s and he did lots of big ball skirts and Swarovski crystal bodices and I was in my mid-20s, I suppose, so starting to dream about, you know, future weddings and all those sorts of things. And then when I was at college, I asked, could I go and do work experience with him? And which I did. I spent two weeks with him in, in Double Basin and just thought that it was amazing. amazing. And that probably set, set me off on the trajectory of, of doing what I do. And, and when I was at college, I actually made my first wedding gown, which was for a, a dear school friend um, who lived in Jindabyne. And, and we went off to um, a fabric place in Sydney that was a wholesaler that when you're a student, you could go to. So we went off and, and bought some lace and bought some silk and I made my first wedding dress, um, which is lovely. And I still look back at it and, and think it's lovely. And she actually did the fittings at my parents' home. It must have been in the holidays. And we were trying to think about a veil and a headpiece. And and mum bought hers out and, and she actually wore mum's beautiful headpiece and veil, which was really lovely. So that was a really nice touch that mum was very chuffed about. So they would have been married now, gosh, 26 or seven years, I suppose. And then it... It just sort of evolved and after I finished college, I went home to help my parents do some work. They had a lovely old peasy home and they'd supported me when I was at college. So I wanted to do some wallpapering and working and things. And and then I happened to meet my husband while I was at home for those six months. And then he asked me to marry him after two days, but we did have a two and a half. We did wait two and a half months before we announced that we were engaged after and then two we waited days. two That's days. amazing. How did you meet? Did- um, he was a friend of a, of a mutual friend um, and his parents, they were from Victoria, but they had a hotel at a place called Ardlethan down the road. And he'd actually left, that they'd sold the hotel and he was living up here, but he came back for a party or something and I met him and we just knew it was just one of those funny things. So we did actually, he did ask me to marry him and, and said that he wanted to move up here to the northwest. And I said to him, I really would like to go to Sydney and work in the industry for at least 12 months. I don't want to go to college, 
and then just become a dressmaker, which is what I've actually become. So I, we went and lived in Sydney, and in those days under the Ritz-Carlton in Double Bay, they were doing a whole bridally sort of oh, where everyone went to get wedding dresses and headpieces and photographers and things. So I went to work for a lady called Mandy Levos and worked for Alex Perry for a little bit over a period of 12 months and then got married and moved up to the latter and started dressmaking. And just through word of mouth, it's just evolved and grown and it has become a little bit nuttier in the last 12 months, I have to say. It has become busier and busier. Why do you think you were drawn to make wedding dresses in particular? I don't know. Do you know what I I don't know. I love weddings. And it's funny, people say to me, oh, you must get sick of brides. And I never do. Each bride's different and all weddings are different. And I don't, don't know why. I just have that enthusiasm for weddings. And it's not like I really love going to weddings, but I... I think I love the romance. I love, I love the opportunity to make someone's the most important dress that they'll ever wear, and I take that very seriously. Um, that it's a big responsibility to do that, and they have to be, they have to love it. And it's yeah, it's it's. It, I don't know. I don't know why I do love doing it, but I, but I just do. I don't find it difficult to make a wedding dress. I, if people ask me, and over the years people have given me fabric and said, "Oh, can you make me shirts and skirts?" Well, that's just torturous. I think, ugh, and I and I really try not to do that because I think there are other dressmakers that do that, and I like to specialise in wedding dresses. Psychiatrist could probably have a field day with me. I don't know why. It's just one of those things. (laughs) So you moved out there and you knew from the get-go that you were going to make wedding dresses from rural Mm. Australia. Was Mm. it difficult to get clients initially? No, not at all. I suppose my children were small, so I just took on dresses as they came and it was just a word-of-mouth thing. I've never advertised. People just come to me and in you know years ago I suppose before social media people would phone or they would write to ask would I make their wedding dress but now people direct message me on Instagram that's pretty much the way that I get asked to make a wedding dress so it's it's quite extraordinary how it has evolved and that actually is probably easier sometimes if I'm really busy I can quite easily not easily and I have to think about it long and hard I can say no over a direct message but if you get me on the phone I'm you know I'm such a softy and tell me a sob story and I'm like oh okay I'll do it so, <laughs> so that's always a little bit tricky where do the women come from that you make dresses for oh, they come from all over the place a lot of country New South Wales um, and Queensland I have had brides from Perth I have had a bride from America I've had one from England Brisbane Sydney have had some from Melbourne none from anywhere else I think that's about as far as it go but and I'd probably like to say a lot of local, mostly local, but really they're from all over the place. They really are from a long way away sometimes, which is can be tricky. Like I will say to them, I really need to see you three times. So they'll come for a weekend, sometimes stay with me. I'm quite often going to Mori Airport to pick up brides off the plane and they'll come back and we'll do all the twirls or the calico fittings sort of in one day. And it's, sometimes that's difficult because they've got one day to make decisions about what they want. But that's easy sometimes because when you make it in Calico, they can see exactly what they're getting. And then I'll make the gown, they'll come back, we'll do all the, um, I'll do the hem and the buttons and loops and then usually they can take it with them. But there's nearly always a connection 
to me via someone that, that they know or someone that lives close that when the gown's finished, if they can't come back and get it, I'll be able to give the gown to somewhere else. So I have exchanged wedding gowns, you know, on the corner of the Spring Plains Road and up near the Millie Monument and on highways in strange places. Um, and, and sometimes people are couriering things backwards and forwards for me, which is really lovely. So the, the connection to other people um, is fantastic quite often. It's like that adrenaline, isn't it, before the wedding? It's such a deadline. It is. It is. Actually, we had an, a, a, um, I've got a, a wedding dress that I'm making at the moment that fabric had to be sent off to a pleaters in Sydney and they, Australia Post, I don't know, someone lost it anyway, so it got delayed and I oh. really needed a back by today and the pleaters didn't really want to send it through the post and we couldn't get a courier because you have to have an account to have a courier. So I just put a call out on Instagram a couple of nights ago and within 10 minutes there were three people saying ding I'm coming back from Sydney on Friday or Thursday or Saturday and I can pick it up and get it back to you so it was picked up by someone and 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 I had it in my hands yesterday so that was fantastic. Tell me about your workspace. I have a lovely room that my husband actually built me for my 40th birthday. It was a garage that was attached to the house um, and I used to sew in a little, a very small little dark room and my mother used to say, I can't believe such beautiful things come out of this terrible dark room. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, yeah, I have a lovely big room that's got a big table and at the moment it's very messy because I've had a very hectic um, beginning to the year but it's got lovely big windows and a big table and a, an industrial sewing machine and a lovely mirror and a little spot in the middle of the room for the girls to try their dresses on and, and some chairs, two chairs at least, because quite often people will bring, and I encourage them to bring their mother or their sister or a bridesmaid. I have had brides that have bought children and lots of people and it does get a bit hectic because my room is not that big. So sometimes it is a bit tricky if there's too many people in the room. But it is good to have another opinion because quite often I won't know the bride. So I can look at it from a a dressmaking point of view, but I don't know their personality. So if they've got someone with them, they'll say, yes, that suits you, that doesn't or whatever. Why is it so important for a bridal dress to match the bride's personality and can you tell when looking from afar you know someone a complete stranger in their um, wedding dress if it's if it's not their personality probably not but there's a look on a bride's face that they get when they're happy and and until I see that look I'll still keep fiddling and and yeah it's quite extraordinary that they just get this look on their face, this smile that otherwise they're sort of looking at the mirror and it can, you can just tell that. And sometimes girls, we've done a day of trials and they'll walk out the door and I'll think, mm, it's not something's not quite right. And, and always within a couple of days, they'll message me and say, well, I'm not sure about that sleeve or I'm not sure about something. I don't, I, I, I think it's maybe what they feel comfortable in. It's, it's not necessarily matching their personality. It's just them I suppose I don't know it's it's funny it's just one of those funny things what's your favorite material to work with always silk but I did I have made a couple of wool wedding dresses I I made a gown for a a daughter of quite a famous um merino stud not far from where you live and her father sent some wool over to Italy and had some crepe made and and it was beautiful absolutely beautiful to work with but you know more often than not silk there's just something about it that just it falls and does what it's supposed to do. But something like wool, 
and I've made a linen wedding dress, which was really lovely. Um, something like wool just moulds to the body beautifully and, yeah, amazing, really amazing. Should be more wool wedding dresses. Mm, mm, really really lovely. Yeah. Yeah, no, actually there's a, there's a, a dressmaker who might be far from you and, and she made a wedding dress of a girl down in hay and it was a, a pleated wool skirt and, and it was absolutely exquisite in this beautiful fine um, fabric and, and I did think that oh there really should be more wedding dresses made in wool but it is unusual and I think maybe it's unusual because it's far too hot here to be wearing wool wedding dresses most of the time and most people get married in spring summer and autumn in your neck of the woods a wool wedding dress would be perfect <laughs> Do you have a love for material as well or is it more the creation and the sewing? Oh, no, I have a very big fabric stash. Oh, <laughs> I, I have just a, love I, to see it. Wow. I do, I do. In, in fact, actually, we have a, a cool room that we've never, um, a beautiful cool room, a lovely old wooden one that we've never really felt the need to crank up and it's full of all my fabric because it's mouse proof and and moths can't get in there so you walk into this lovely little old cool room and it's lined these shelves are lined with fabric and I do actually under my big sewing table I have tubs of fabrics because I'll, I'll generally with permission of the girls give them back most of the fabric but quite often I'll keep a little bit and it's amazing that I'll need something for someone else's dress or um, a little bit of silk to bind something or do something so I do I do fear that something will happen to me one day and my poor husband and children will be left to deal with all this fabric that they won't know what to do with but anyway <laughs> there is a lot of fabric. Where is a great place to buy fabric or where have you in your travels found a gorgeous fabric unexpectedly? Oh, gosh. Just mostly little old towns. I mean, there's, there's specialty fabric shops, obviously, um, in Sydney and, and Brisbane. And Sylvia's, there's not that many beautiful little fabric shops left in countries anymore. I think places, sadly, like nothing, not that there's anything wrong with Spotlight. Spotlight's great. There is a shop at Roma that I'd love to go to that's quite famous apparently and it's a massive shop full of thousands and thousands of rolls of fabric. Um, and apparently if you ask them for some sort of fabric, they will generally have it there somewhere stashed away and I think they've been there for a long time. But... There's really not the fabric shops that there used to be. So there's, quite often I will come across vintage fabrics in, I'm a bit of an antique shopper, um, in little, you know, funny antique shops and things. And, and actually eBay, there are lots of fabric people that sell vintage fabrics on eBay, which is interesting. So sometimes I've got a hunt for something and, and, and we have, I have found it on eBay or different places. So hmm, it, it is more difficult than what it used to be. Are all your fabrics bridal fabrics or just? No, I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of a closet house stylist, I think. So lots of finishing yeah. fabrics and, and just lots of other fabrics. And I'll quite often, my daughter Kate's 21, and I'll quite often buy a piece of fabric and think, oh, I'll make that for Kate. I never do. I've made her very few clothes, really, um, in her life because I just don't have time, which is terrible. So how long does it take for you to actually create a wedding dress? Well, I have. I have made a wedding dress in a week before. Oh it's a fairly stressful week. It really is about six or seven days of actual sitting at the machine. But my sewing days generally are from about nine o'clock in the morning till 11.30 at night. I pretty much sew 
most of the day and most of the night, but there's time off in between. I'm not sitting at the machine for that long, obviously. And I, I generally, yeah, will have a little bit of time off around dinner time and then go back and, and sew at night time. And I think I got into the habit of doing that when William and Kate were small. I would cut out things during the day while they were potting around and then when they would go to bed at night, I would sew. I did my little old sewing room used to have those a gate that I'd put across the door so the kids could see me but they couldn't get into me actually there's a lady that I know when she was she was a sewer and when her children were small she used to get in the playpen and sew so her children were on the outside and she was inside so they couldn't get to her which I used to feel a little bit like that that I was I was in the playpen sewing while they were outside (laughs) that's so good tell me the story about when you had to make a wedding dress in a week. That's crazy. It was actually for a friend's daughter-in-law and and she had bought a dress and it really wasn't very flattering and and really just wasn't nice and it didn't fit her and and her mother-in-law and mother were quietly having heart attacks and I just said to her, I think we need to start again. So um, we went off and and got some fabric from Sydney and got some fabric, I think, from Sylvia and and made her a very beautiful dress in a week and a half. So, but yeah, it's not something that I would like to do very often. But actually at the moment, my poor bride's, I've had a lot of girls this year that cancelled from, they were COVID brides, so I had said yes to a certain amount of girls and then I had six girls from last year that all postponed their wedding to February. So February was very crazy. So there was lots of dresses made in, in not a huge amount of time, which is, I, I don't rush things. I, I, it just takes as long as it takes, but um, it's been, yeah, pretty tough on me, I suppose. But, it, yeah, they're all just about done, I've got two, three more dresses to go in the next few weeks and then I'll have a break until the spring rides, which is good. Do you still go and fit the wedding dresses on the day for your bride? If I can, yes, if it's close enough. Uh, Although I did, you know, we went to Barrel a couple of weeks ago for an old friend's daughter. Um, But generally if it's a Maury wedding or close by, I will go. I drove out to Walgett last weekend to to dress a bride I like to go because there's always something on wedding days that not goes wrong but there'll be something that I need to fix or do and when I went to the wedding at Walgett two bridesmaids dresses that they had bought were far too low so I had to stitch them up a little bit so they weren't showing everyone everything but there'll always be some national emergency on a wedding day so and and obviously people get through it but I, you know it's just one of those things that I like to go and I spend the day ironing and I, and I don't love ironing but I iron everyone's clothes and just be there to make sure that everyone's organized bridesmaids have got deodorant on <laughs> around a little bit uh you know I, I used to have a bit of a saying where I'd say bridesmaids are generally too busy looking for themselves mum's running around like a headless chook and the bride's trying to figure out how on earth she's going to get into a wedding dress on her own so I just like to go there to take the pressure off mums usually probably more than anything what a gift to just get an insight into such an intimate time it is and I love wedding days I really do it's it, it it's really lovely to be part of it I try very hard to say to the families put me down in a bedroom away from everyone as long as we've got carpet on the floor so the dress doesn't get dirty on a wooden floor. Um, But I try not to get, 
I don't sit out with the bridesmaids having champagne with them, having a chat. They will ask me, which is really lovely, but I generally don't do that. I feel it's not my place to be um, in amongst it too much. I just like to quietly go and do what I do and, um, yeah, get everyone organised. But I have, you know, there's been wedding days where they've been disorganised and I've been setting tables and, and doing flowers, done floral arrangements for girls that were supposed to do their own bouquet and ran out of time and I'm not a florist, but anyway, we've managed to do it. So there'll always be a job somewhere that I'll be like, okay, radio, we'll, we'll just do that and get that done and quite often appeasing stressed out mothers and listening to father's speeches and which is lovely so that's it is really lovely to be a part of it you're like the mary poppins of getting (laughs) a little bit sometimes i do feel like that and it but it is lovely it really is a great privilege to be part of a family's special day um and you know and, and people always say to me when we did the exhibition and there were 80 dresses and i obviously just spoke about all the dresses and and people would say how do you remember I said, these dresses are so imprinted in my mind and these girls, I sometimes won't remember a married name, but I'll always remember a maiden name and I'll always remember the dress and I always remember actually making that dress. There'll be something that I think, oh, yeah, that's right, that dress did this or that or or whatever. So hmm. you could write a book. I always have a bit of a chuckle about that and say I'll write a book. Um, but, yeah, there has been some funny stories over the years of, of things that have happened at wedding days. But And I, I do threaten that one day I'll write a book. <laughs> How many uh, other women do you know that do something similar to you in rural Australia? There are. Actually, there's a, there's a couple of girls popping up all over the place that do lovely, maybe not to the scale of what I do. But there, there are there are a few dressmakers here and there, which is really lovely. Um, I've been following a girl on Instagram who is near Armatree, who's who's a fashion designer and starting up a business. No, Colli, not Armatree. Um, she's by banks, and it's really lovely to see young girls starting starting little businesses in the country. I think I think that it, we're going to see more of it, which is really good. Why is that? I don't know. I just I don't I don't know. I think there's such a need for people to have special clothes to be handmade. And I think there's lots of beautiful things that you can buy. Um, but I suppose it's hard to get it's hard to get people that you can trust that have the qualifications, maybe. I don't mm, it's tricky, but I, I have noticed and occasionally I'll get messaged by a dressmaker that's um, there's a lady in Gundawindi who's retiring and she wants to get into more dressmaking. So that's great. And I'm really happy to send people um, and quite often I can't do things. So mm. to have people that I can send work to is fantastic. Really, really good. So Melinda, I always like to ask my guests about their daily routines. I'd love to know a bit about yours. Are you um, an early, how do you start your days? Are you an early riser or not really? No, not really. I work at TAFE in Moree three days a week. So I try to be up by seven. I've sort of got to try and leave the house by quarter past eight. I'm always late. And my, my the other staff and students are always rolling their eyes at me. Um, and at the moment, we've got a very wild road. 
um, that needs some gravel replacing. Oh, holy dooly. And it's a bit like a Red X car trial getting up it. So, um, but a lot of my students, they're late as well. So that's fine. Um, and usually when I work uh, a day, I finish at three, I quite often after work have fittings. If a bride, I do a lot of alterations uh, for wedding dresses. And if a girl's in Moree, I will say to them, come to TAFE or I'll come to your house to save them driving the 40 kilometres out to here. So most days that I work, there'll be someone coming to TAFE for a fitting or something, whether it's a mother or a bridesmaid or a wedding dress. And then I'll come home and potter about. I'd love to say that I cook most of the meals, but this year Des has been cooking a lot, which has been really good. But I'll give him potter about and then I'll go back into my sewing room. Yeah, it's lovely. He's a very good cook too. Mm. I will go back into my sewing room at about 7.30 and, and sew till about probably about a quarter past 11. That's about my limit. I know when I get to 11.30, that's it. I have to go to bed or otherwise I can't function the next day. But on my days, I'd love to say that I have weekends off, but I don't. Um, and that's why I'm slightly, I'm always threatening to retire, but I would like to try and slow down. I'm, I'm getting to a point where I just can't work seven days a week anymore. Mm-hmm. But I will get up early, potter about, um, just sew all day, have a little bit of time off and, and sew all night. And I have had to do that to get through the sheer volume of work probably in the last few years, really. Um, I struggle with balance and that's, I'll never give it up because it is who I am, but I just like to give up the chaos of too many dresses um, and just juggling to, you know, I'm just juggling people all the time and someone's coming, someone's going, uh, and occasionally I do forget people and they appear and I'm like, oh, that's right, I forgot you were coming for a fitting. That's fine. <laughs> Not that often, but occasionally I have, I get that sick feeling when I see a car come down the drive and I think, oh, no, but everyone's always good. They're fine about it. So yeah. if you sound so incredibly busy, but what do you what do you do to relax? Or you that's not in your vernacular at the moment. Well, at the moment it's not, and and that's yeah. part of my issue of trying to slow down. Um, I love it. We have a you know lovely old. Well, it's probably not lovely to some people. An eighteen part of the house is eighteen sixty, and part part of its turn of the century. And I'd love to be painting and I do upholster furniture and, and you know, I've got a, slip, a lounge that's needed a slip cover for probably five years mm. and they're the things that I'd love to have the time to do and I can take snippets of time and do a bit of this and that. But I'd love to be able to work three days, sew for two days and have the weekends off and I'm, I'm trying very hard to work towards that. But sadly I've sort of, and I don't mean this to be, Oh, tickets on myself, but I've sort of created a bit of a monster. So it's it's hard to to do that. But I'm working very, I'm trying very hard to to create some balance in my life. There's been so many things over the years that I've missed. I do have people that sometimes say, I'll come and help you, that I would spend more time trying to tell them what to do and, and not fixing their mistakes. That's wrong. They wouldn't be making mistakes. But I think that would be more work than just doing it myself when you're in your sewing room do you listen to music or do you listen to podcasts Uh, no I listen to podcasts and I do have Netflix and I do have Stan and I do and I I'll you know put a movie on or something on at the moment I'm watching a series this is us but I'm not really watching it it's just sort of there and I'm listening and sewing and sometimes I 
silence depends on what's going around in my head, I suppose. But I do love podcasts because I could just sew and listen and I think that's great. Which ones do you enjoy listening to? Well, I can't say that I'm enjoying it, but I, but I have been listening to my sister's secrets and, and the young girl that's doing that is a, is a family friend. So um, that's been a little bit harrowing listening mm. to her, but really important to listen to her. Mm. There's a couple of girls... Elodie Pullen and Chloe Fisher that have got a, a podcast called Darling Shine, which I think is really lovely. Um, and these girls have had issues having children and one of the girls has lost a husband. And they interview really interesting people, um, which is really great. And um, Bush Wonderlust, they're really good. But, yeah, I'm, look, I'm probably not into it as much as I should be, but starting to be, oh, Mamma Mia, but, you know, we have, mm. I listen to those. And, oh, no, I always you, so, yeah, yeah. love to learn of new ones. <laughs> um, well, Melinda, it's been, it's been so wonderful to meet you <laughs> and to chat with you, and I hope that you continue sewing, but I do hope that you're able to um, realize your ambition to slow down a little bit yes, in the in the coming absolutely. in the coming um, weeks and months and years ahead. So thanks so much for your time to chat with Thank me you. on the podcast. Thank you. Lovely to meet you as well. That's bespoke wedding dressmaker Melinda O'Donoghue from Gurley in northwest New South Wales. Just the best story. You really can do anything you want from anywhere you want. And it has been the case for some time for people living in rural and remote areas. And it's only now that the rest of the world is catching on in these post-COVID times. And it's such a wonderful thing. The newsletter company on Sunday will be winging its way to your inboxes again at 6am this Sunday. Sign up for a free or paid version at mansonpodcasting.com. Thank you so much for supporting the Manson Podcasting Network by continuing to tune in. I really hope that you've been recommending the network and all of its lifestyle podcasts to others in your crew. Make it a conversation at your next coffee date and I will most certainly be smiling in spirit. Chat to you again, same time next week.